I am Bo Ellis Breedlove, and this is the June Bug. Welcome to the third episode of The June Bug. Last week, Caroline made a startling realization about herself. Her memories are becoming jumbled. Small incidents of getting lost in recollections from her youth have begun to collide with her daily routines. She finds herself in a fog of overlapping memories, a fog that she pushes herself through and dismisses as an oddity. Caroline also encountered a strange new companion, a colorful beetle that has made multiple appearances, a June bug. This week, Caroline suffers a horrific accident, an accident that sets her life on a new course. Details in the story, such as names and places, have been altered or fictionalized to preserve privacy. Episode 3, The Fall The rains finally ceased shortly after noon. Caroline sits at the dining table, watching the last raindrops fall from the leaves of the lone oak tree in the backyard, standing there proudly with an unsightly stump where its twin had once stood. The Aubrey house is free of curtains. They've all been taken to the cleaners for an annual rinse and press and are long overdue for pickup. It is an errand Caroline has repeatedly neglected over recent weeks. Winter storms and an unusual bout of freezing rain had compromised the now missing oak and its removal became an unfortunate necessity. The unsightly stump has bothered Mrs. Aubrey for months now. Money has been tighter recently. Vincent has been trying to stick to a monthly budget to keep more drastic financial decisions at bay. Business at Aubrey Antique Motors has dwindled recently. 
The cost of removing the tree was substantial, and the extra money to have the stump taken out just isn't available. Caroline's prized garden is now bearing the scar of the family's mounting financial difficulties. Clouds begin to break as beams of sunlight glisten on wet grass. Just a week earlier, the Aubrey clan had gathered at the Kingsman family home to celebrate their matriarch's 74th birthday. Since then, it has been raining every day. The hilltops of West Salem are soaked from summer rains, leaving the lawns muddied and the seasonal blooms stunted as buds. Yellow and crimson roses would usually be dominating the garden palette by now, but instead, leafy greens remain. Caroline is anxiously awaiting the arrival of July, just a few days away now. It will signal the start of a new chapter in her life, becoming a great-grandmother. Excitement and anticipation has been exercised in a growing collection of infant clothes and toddler toys filling the spare closets of the house. Soon, Caroline's granddaughter Josette will welcome the newest addition to the Aubrey tribe, a baby girl. Caroline has nervously longed for the prospect of great-grandchildren, the start of a new era that will provide her with the long-desired need to right the wrongs she has made as a mother and as a grandmother. She is hopeful this fourth generation of women will be her greatest accomplishment in motherhood. Red geraniums are relishing in the summer morning rainfall and afternoon sun. They are some of the few flowers to have prospered during the rains. Robust red blossoms ornament every corner of the patio and hang from baskets along the front porch. A hummingbird floats outside the window as Caroline stirs some creamer and a little sugar into her third cup of coffee. Taking a sip, she peers down at her boots with ridicule. They're hideous, green hiking boots. She despises them. They were a birthday gift from Vincent, with the promise of taking her on more outings to the woods and nearby parks. Gardening or enjoying a book in the sun with a glass of white wine are the extent of Mrs. Aubrey's desire to be outdoorsy. Contrary, Mr. Aubrey is insistent on them getting more active as they head into their mid-70s together. So here she sits, impatient for the rain to stop, so Vin can take her on an excursion to a nearby nature preserve. Vincent announces from the front door that he is ready as he adjusts his white Panama hat. The hat is one that has become emblematic of Mr. Aubrey. It is ornamented with various pins and mementos from car races. Many photos on the walls of his den feature him clad in the hat beside his antique race cars. Reluctantly, Caroline gathers her coffee cup and saucer, places them in the kitchen sink, 
and makes her way to the door. West Salem's Audubon Nature Reserve is a short half-mile walk from Kingsman Drive. Recently opened, it's a wooded, undeveloped lot nestled against the base of the West Salem Hills. The local Boy Scouts have been working on laying paths for the past year, clearing brush and creating an oasis amongst budding urban developments. This will mark Caroline's inaugural trip to the park. Her husband has been coming weekly and is much more familiar with the trails. Today, though, he wants to venture down a new route he hasn't yet explored. The park's namesake, Audubon Trail. Raindrops are still falling from the trees. A canopy of evergreens, oaks, and the occasional cherry tree obscure the heat of midday summer sun. The paths are wet and muddied, making Caroline more uncomfortable with the venture. Narrow and unmanicured, the Audubon Trail leads down a steep hillside. Caroline tells Vincent that the path is too steep and she wants to go another way, but Vincent assures her it's fine. It's not that bad. I'll be right behind you. Caroline insists she doesn't want to go. But again, Vincent assures her that it's safe, and should anything happen, he'll be right behind her to catch her. Reluctantly, Caroline complies. Vincent failed to realize just how quickly it could happen. The fall. Barely one step ahead of her husband, and the mud gave way beneath Caroline's shiny new hiking boots. She reaches to the side to grab for a branch, but the lunge to grab it sends her falling forward. Instinctively, she flings her left arm around behind her, hoping to grasp Vincent's hand, but she's already slipped too far ahead. She falls forward, meeting the hard ground against her face. Vincent strains to clutch her hand, but misses. The dirt hits Caroline's rouged cheeks as bits of ground cover smear into her right eye. The smell of wet earth, oak leaves, and pine needles flood her senses. She tastes blood as she bites her tongue. Vincent! She screams as she slides forward onto her stomach. 30, 50, 80, 100 feet, and she continues to roll and tumble. Dirt cakes onto her face. Through her left eye, she could see a large boulder getting closer. She falls, heading right for the granite bedrock. Fearfully, Caroline scrapes the dirt with her delicate hands, desperately seeking purchase, grabbing and clawing for anything. Her nails break, blood emerging from her fingertips as she clings at muddy soil and rock. The face of her Cartier wristwatch cracks from hitting the base of a tree. Her beige Eddie Bowers shirt tears on a stick protruding from the ground that punctures the side of her breast. A white lace brassiere is exposed and quickly stained with blood and wet earth. Blonde and gray hair falls in her face, blinding the one good eye. The rock 
is near. Caroline knows it's going to stop her fall. She pleads with God for intervention, just before she loses consciousness. Vincent is stricken with terror as he witnesses the fall. He attempts to run after his wife, but himself begins to fall. Grabbing for a sapling, he steadies himself, helplessly watching as his beloved wife continues to tumble. Then, silence. Deafening silence. The horrifying sound of nothing. Caroline had fallen to the base of the path a few hundred feet down and landed against a large boulder. Vincent screams into the trees. His cries echo through the wooded terrain. But still, no response. Oh no, please no, he keeps saying to himself as he scrambles to make headway down the hillside. At last reaching Caroline, he finds she is curled up against the rock. Her clothes covered in dirt and debris, her face hidden against the rock, her right breast exposed to the soil. Vincent grabs for her left arm, turning her to face him. Horror spreads through him as he realizes she is unresponsive. Vincent starts to sob as the fear settles into his chest. And he asks himself, is... is she dead? A man and woman hiking nearby heard the commotion and quickly arrive on scene. Vincent frantically explains the situation as the woman dials 911 and heads to the road to flag an ambulance. Her companion assists in getting Caroline onto her side and proceeds to check for her pulse. It is there. It's weak, but it's there. An eternity seemed to pass before ambulance sirens pierced the air. Medics arrive on scene to find Vin sitting in the mud, his wife's head resting on his lap, tenderly running his fingers through her hair, comforting the still non-responsive Caroline. Vincent tries to ask if she's going to be okay, but he pauses, momentarily choking, as he attempts to take another deep breath. Then he persists in trying to get the words out, but he stutters through the sentence. Vincent's stutter rarely makes an appearance, but in moments of dire stress like this, he fails to control the speech impediment that has taunted him since childhood. The medic informs Vincent that he believes Caroline has a concussion and likely many multiple broken bones. They need to get her to the hospital quickly. Vincent is hurried into the ambulance and seated beside his wife's gurney. He gazes upon her 
dumbfounded by what has happened, cursing himself for prodding her to join him on the hike, hating the green hiking boots clad to her now mangled legs. He pleads with God to protect his wife. Have you pre-ordered your copy of the June Bug novel yet? This book takes a deeper look at the story we are exploring during season one, Caroline, Vincent, and their love story through the trials and tribulations of dementia. Pre-order your copy on our website, www.thejunebug.org. Mr. Aubrey waits patiently at his wife's hospital bedside. The privacy curtain is drawn, but fails to muffle the noise and commotion of the Salem Hospital emergency room. Abruptly, the curtain is pulled back as a doctor approaches. He informs Vincent that Caroline has in fact suffered a concussion, but she has also broken numerous bones, particularly in her right shoulder and arm. They will need to perform surgery once she is stable. Vincent agrees silently, still shaken and recoiling at the sense he is being judged at fault for his wife's accident. It was a terrible feeling, the guilt. He had caused this, and that responsibility weighed heavily on his mind. So much so, Vincent could not even bring himself to tell anyone what had happened. A full 36 hours would pass before he could muster the confidence to call his children and tell them of the accident. On the second day in the hospital, the children and grandchildren gathered around their matriarch's hospital bed. She still drifts in and out of consciousness, not because of the concussion, but because of the exorbitantly high amount of morphine required to keep the pain at bay. This moment in the hospital would prove to be the first time the family would begin to understand a problem Caroline had grappled with for decades. Years before, in the early 80s, when the family business had been faced with difficult financial times, Caroline had taken a job as an office manager for a local plastic surgeon. Vincent's business acumen had been wanting, leaving the family strapped and facing difficult decisions. Resourceful, Caroline found herself applying to various jobs that valued her fundamental comprehension of the medical field from her time in nursing school. Eventually, she was taken on by the plastic surgeon to oversee his front office. Having previously experienced some recreational prescription drug use during the 1960s, Caroline now found it unexpectedly easy to get her hands on. Pharmaceutical reps visited the office weekly. Caroline was their primary contact. 
She organized sample shipments, stocked away various products, and readily had access to pre-signed prescription pads. Unbeknownst to her husband, much less her children, Caroline had been secretly self-medicating with a myriad of prescription drugs for the past two decades. Everything from nasal spray to opioids, whatever made her feel good in the moment, she could get her hands on. Occasionally, even her husband's prostate medication. When the emergency room nurse had been unable to keep Mrs. Aubrey comfortable on the pain medication, she increased it. Regardless, Caroline still wrenched in excruciating pain, prompting the doctor to inquire about her unusually high tolerance for opioids. This series of events unraveled a tightly wrapped, shame-shrouded secret of drug abuse. Inspired by true stories, the Junebug Project is always looking for inspirational and informative experiences to share. You can share your story on our website, www.thejunebug.org. Caroline hobbled to the bathroom, her right arm still in a cast, the sides of her body covered in an array of bruises and scabbed cuts. Sharp, pulsating pain from a shattered shoulder and the ensuing surgeries keeps Caroline from a restful sleep. The bathroom is dark. A sliver of window light from the neighbor's landscaping pierces the darkness. Vincent snores, still fast asleep. Caroline feels around blindly on the dark countertop with her left hand, reaching for a familiar bottle. At last, finding it at her fingertips, she retrieves three small, round, blue pills. Morphine. She crushes the pills between her teeth and massages the bitter powder with her tongue, hopeful this will expedite absorption. She holds her breath briefly. A surge of calm pulsates through her body as she braces herself against the bathroom sink. Returning to bed, Caroline soon feels the medicated relief she sought. The cool sensation of Egyptian cotton sheets gently caresses her tender, bruised skin. Vincent stirs and turns onto his side, outreaching an arm to caress his wife in the darkness. Caroline pushes his hand away, sliding herself closer to the edge of the bed, further from him. Persistent pain from her recent injuries failed to be the only burden keeping Caroline from rest. A swell of growing resentment and anger towards her husband dwarfs her physical distress. As the morphine makes its way into her bloodstream, so too does rage. 
An hour passes as Caroline tosses and turns, sleep still eluding her. Once more, she rises from the bed and repeats the medication pilgrimage. Another three pills. Crushed between her teeth and massaged into her gums and under her tongue. Returning to bed, this time Vincent awakes. How are you feeling? He asks his wife. At first, Caroline does not answer. She entertains ignoring the inquiry altogether. She knows she's going to say something she regrets. Regardless, after a momentary pause, she speaks. Vin, I can't sleep with you in bed. Go sleep in the other bedroom. Caroline complains, instantaneously regretting her harsh words. However, her husband didn't question the demand. Her tone said everything. Gathering his plaid Pendleton bathrobe from the bedroom armchair, Vincent relents and relocates to the downstairs guest bedroom. With the spacious bed to herself, Caroline continued to lay awake until the bedside radio alarm sounded at 5.30. Arising from her slumberless night, she donned her chartreuse floral print housecoat and slid her delicate feet into a pair of white satin slippers. On the nightstand sat her wedding band and a glass of water. Caroline retrieves the glass but hesitates for a moment before leaving the ring. Another trip to the sinkside bottle of pills before starting her day. Have you pre-ordered your copy of the Junebug novel yet? This book takes a deeper look at the story we are exploring during season one. Caroline, Vincent, and their love story through the trials and tribulations of dementia. Pre-order your copy on our website www.thejunebug.org Late July summer heat bore down on the uncovered deck. Pots filled with water-parched geraniums sparsely decorate the large space. A round table with ample seating for eight sits central in the deck laden with an assortment of summer salads and light hors d'oeuvres. Three-tiered and coated with thick pink fondant, a cake denotes the occasion. Happy anniversary. Caroline strains to keep a facade of wedded bliss as she screams inside. Setting her wine glass aside, she departs the gathering and retreats into the house. Locking the bathroom door, she searches drawers for a bottle she has hidden. The hospital prescription for morphine had expired the week prior. Unbeknownst to Vincent, Caroline had anticipated this and had already been to see a new physician one who gladly agreed to continue her morphine regimen. 
The bitter taste of crushed pills now fell on taste buds immune to the toxic flavor. Returning to the gathering outside, Caroline resumed sipping on her cold glass of Gewurztraminer wine. The bright pink chiffon of her afternoon dress doesn't conceal the navy blue sling that still supports her right arm. A new neighbor arrives to the modest gathering of two dozen people. Approaching Caroline, he inquires how she's doing and how the arm is healing up, hopeful to engage in light banter with his neighbor. Mrs. Aubrey quicks back bluntly that it's terrible, staring firmly in the direction of her husband, never once making eye contact with the friendly guest. As the neighbor begins to change the subject, Caroline interrupts him. He pushed me, Caroline whispers. Vincent, he pushed me. Don't believe what he tells you. It was intentional. Caroline revealed this, pointing directly at her husband. A shocked look washed over the face of the man. He was stunned at the accusation and curious if Caroline may have partaken in too much of the sweet German wine. Nearby, Margaret stopped abruptly in mid-conversation with her brother as the two overheard the discussion beside them. Caroline immediately spied the eavesdropping and redirected the accusation so her daughter too could hear. That's right, you heard me. He pushed me. This time, Vincent heard the accusal, his happy smile giving way to an embarrassed grimace. Caroline firmly set her wine glass down on the table, splashing what little wine remained as a colorful beetle scampered by. Turning her back to the now silent gathering, Caroline retreated to the interior of the house, scurrying to her bedroom and closing the door. Sitting on the side of the bed, Caroline clenched her left fist and punched the mattress in frustration. It wasn't frustration towards her husband, but frustration at her lack of self-control to stop from saying something she knew was hideous. Fleetingly, Caroline contemplated returning outside and dismissing the comments as a cruel joke, but she couldn't muster the will to do so. Alone, Caroline considered the gravity of what had just transpired. She pondered how her husband must have felt, a consideration that was quickly quashed by another sharp pain and the reminder of her physical scars from the fall. Clenching her shoulder, she saw the noticeable vacancy on her left hand. The wedding band. It still sat on the bedside table. A significant absence from the joyous celebration of her wedding anniversary. 
soft knocking at the bedroom door distracted Caroline from the flood of mixed emotions. As the door opened, Caroline was relieved to see it wasn't Vincent. Instead, her granddaughter, Josette. Josette and Caroline shared a unique confidant relationship. The two guarded each other's secrets and had developed a strong codependency. Josette, the first child of Caroline's son Joseph, had been a disappointment to her father since birth. He had wanted a son to take his name. Joseph Jr. thus became Josette. As Josie approached her grandmother at the bedside, her first inclination was not to inquire about what had just transpired, but instead to ask if she had any more of those little blue pills to share. It was a small ask, but a window into Josette's deepening drug addiction. One of the many secrets she and her grandmother shared. As the party dwindled, Vincent gathered up dirty plates and glassware. The guests had diligently avoided resuming the topic of whether or not Caroline had been pushed, dismissing her outburst to pain and lack of sleep. Aside from Margaret, who harbored the suspicion that her mother intended on humiliating her husband on this auspicious day. As the afternoon sun set and July ready to become August, Vincent turned down the sheets for himself on the guest bed for yet another night alone. Laying in bed, he heard the familiar footsteps above, his wife trekking from the bedroom to the bathroom and back again. Next week on The June Bug, Caroline's resilient dependency on prescription drugs furthers her confusion and results in a very public incident. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can also help support this podcast and the Junebug Project by becoming a supporting member on our Patreon page, www.patreon.com backslash the Junebug. Thank you for listening. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Stay tuned for the next installment of The June Bug.